0: if it will change you and make you a disciple of extravagant love, then I truly hope that this story shocks and offends everyone if it will serve that purpose. I wonder if that's what Jesus was thinking when he shared the story of the Good Samaritan when he shared a story where the hero in the story, a story spoken to a predominantly Jewish audience and specifically in response to a question by a Jewish scholar, where the the hero is the actual bad guy, an arch enemy, if you will, of, of Jews. Jesus told a story that was offensive, he told a story that was shocking, and it's a story that we know as a good Samaritan. Last week I preached a message called The Inheritance of Love, where I unpacked the first part of that uh, Luke chapter 10, where that, that Jewish scholar asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit all that God has for me? To walk in all that he has for me. His question wasn't one about salvation. And Jesus' response that he gave him wasn't one about believing in him. The question was about walking in the fullness of everything that God has. And this scholar had a phenomenal answer when Jesus said, Hey, what does the scripture say? What does the word say? This man had an incredible answer. So I just want to catch us up. I want us to turn to... Luke chapter 10 and our Bibles are our Bible apps and I'm going to read uh, verses 25 to 29 just to to catch us up on this story before we proceed into this week's message which is titled extravagance of love Luke 10 verse 25 and behold a lawyer a, a scholar of the of religious law stood up to put Jesus to the test saying teacher What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, uh, and he said to him, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You will thrive. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This conversation between this man and Jesus in this public forum leads us to what may be the greatest parable, the greatest story that Jesus ever told the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think most of us know the story. A man is badly injured, beaten, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. He could die at any moment. Two highly respected religious leaders, a priest, and then a Levite who who is of Uh, the tribe of Israelites that, that cares for the temple, that has responsibilities and tasks. At different times, they see the man, and they avoid the man. The priest comes up on him. They're coming from Jerusalem, is what Jesus says in this story. So they have no temple responsibilities. They're leaving their temple responsibilities and going to wherever they're going. The priest sees the man, goes on the other side of the street. Passes by. The the temple worker, the Levite. He he sees the man as well. Maybe he goes further on the other side of the street. Maybe he saw the example of or the, the footprints of the priest who went before him and crossed over, and he did the same thing, followed over and went about his way. It might be dangerous. Clearly, this man's been beaten. The the thugs might still be around. This man's been robbed. The thieves might still be around. Reasonable, right? Maybe it's not a risk worth taking. I don't know the guy. Think of all the inconvenience. I mean, if I stop, I got to help. If I stop, that kind of commits me. But if I pretend like I don't see it, I can sleep at night. A little bit better at least. If I stop, it might be expensive. I'm going to have to care for him. He he looks bloody. Blood stains. It's messy. It stinks. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to help. If... I help. It may have repercussions for a long time. So they leave him in this story. Back to the story, a Samaritan comes by. Do you guys know what a Samaritan is? Someone from Samaria. It's like saying an American came by. Do you know what an American is? Somebody from America. So a Samaritan came by. And I'll stop here. The impact of this story might be lost on most of us today. Because we know this story. We know that when we hear the story of the Samaritan, it's not just the Samaritan, it's the what? The good Samaritan. And so whether it's through good teaching in Sunday school or church, or whether it's through naming rights of regional hospitals. We're, we're culturally caught up. But sometimes we miss the impact of this man that Jesus includes in this story, a Samaritan. In the original setting, and especially to a Jewish scholar, a Samaritan would have been the exact opposite of a good guy. He would have been notorious And despised, he was a bad guy, according to to Jews. And this is extremely important to the story. The hero is a bad guy. Culturally, a Samaritan is the last person that culturally they would expect to be the hero of this story that Jesus, this respected teacher, is telling Pick up in verse 30. Jesus replied. I've Replied to that question of who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, a man from Samaria, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Let me make this a little bit more relevant to you. Okay? Luke ten thirty three, But... An Antifa terrorist as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. Luke 10.33 But a white supremacist as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. Does this hit home a little bit more now? Does that help? I hope so because this is Absolutely, 100% a fair apples to apples correlation. The traditional hostility between Samaritans and Jews is well conveyed in this Hebrew law that says, He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like one that eats the flesh of swine. Samaritan religion was corrupt, they were famous for idolatry, they had a rival temple. Perhaps in that temple, they wore blue and orange, whereas the good Jewish people were silver and black, maybe. Um, Jews hated Samaritans, despised them. I'm a Raiders fan, for those of you. And Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, come back. Did my, did my example shock you at all? Of pulling in terrorism and Antifa and white supremacy and racism. It shouldn't. That's how blunt Jesus was by by including the Samaritan as the hero in this story. That's how offensive Jesus was intentionally being for the purpose of shaking them and getting them to listen to this story. So what was so wonderful about the Samaritan? He had no religious or theological qualifications that we know of. He had no commendable or praiseworthy traits listed. That is until what? Until we see his actions. Until we see his actions. Until we see that he didn't turn a blind eye. That he saw the need. Verse 34 says he went to him and he bound up his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages. What's, what's a day's wage for you? He took two days' wages to care for this man he did not know. He took two days' wages to care for someone who was of the despised race. And group as his own people took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Let's just stop right there. Take care of him. And it, it would have been an incredible story at that point if he would have just said take care of him and walked away. That would have been incredibly generous. It still would have been an amazing story. Right? Here's here's two days We just take care of him. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus kept going. said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What, what does that say about this man? He's coming back. He's coming back to check on him, to tend to him, to settle accounts. What was so wonderful about this Samaritan is that he didn't run away. From a situation of need. He looked. He went to him. He felt compassion. He decided to get involved. He did. What needed to be done. He sacrificed something of his own comfort. He sacrificed something of his own resources. Of what he had with him. He sacrificed of his own finite. Finances. He took upon himself a commitment that socially probably had really bad consequences. He took upon himself a responsibility that impacted him in multiple ways. His love inconvenienced his finances. His love inconvenienced his reputation. His love inconvenienced his social standing. His love went beyond the boundaries that most people in his society would say you do not cross. With this, Jesus is done with this story. Jesus then looks at this scholar of the religious law. This man who certainly would have related to the priest and admired the priest in this story, who certainly would have related to the Levite. And some say that this man may have been a Levite, but certainly related to the Levite in this story. And then Jesus asks, in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the others? The religious scholar said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. If I can paraphrase. Jesus said, now wise expert, now learned man, now experienced season, veteran of society. You've talked about loving God. Your answer was right. You've talked about loving your neighbor. Spot on. Spot on. You're right. But that's not enough. You've got to do it. You can't just talk about love. You've got to demonstrate it. You can't just say you love God. You've got to demonstrate it. You can't just say you love your neighbor and then pick and choose the neighbors that make you feel good. Jesus asks a question. Which of these three proved by his actions to be a neighbor? The answer was obvious. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Interesting. I, I want to I make something abundantly clear. The Samaritan doesn't exist. It's a story. The good Samaritan wasn't wasn't a man. I mean, he was a character in a story that Jesus was talking about. The priest in the story that went around was a character. The Levite that went around in the story was a character. The man who was beaten and robbed and hopeless was a character. Jesus is telling a story. But at the end of this, when he says, which man was the true neighbor, the one who showed mercy, he said, go and do likewise. I need to let you know Jesus wasn't saying go and be like the good Samaritan. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying go and be like the character in this story I just told. This is a message for you and I to go and do likewise and be likewise following the example of Jesus Christ. You see, all of us are going to come across people in whatever that circumstance of being beaten and beat down and bloody and wounded and left for dead and abandoned in a ditch somewhere. We're all going to face people like that. We're all going to face people like that. And Jesus is warning, saying, those of you who claim to be religiously strong and mature. Don't turn a blind eye to them. Don't don't just go out of your way and avoid them because they're messy. Because you know there's a commitment involved. Because you've got somewhere else to be because you're too busy. Because you don't have enough. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough capacity. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough whatever. Right? When we see something in the Bible, we always have to, something has to come alive in us. When we see oil and wine in Scripture, it's, it always means the same thing. What does wine represent? The blood of Jesus. There's little cups back there with juice in it, representing wine, representing the blood of Jesus. What does oil always represent? the Holy Spirit, and healing through the Holy Spirit. So when the Samaritan in the story got off and saw the man and tended to his wounds, and what did he do? He poured oil and wine on this wounded man, right? He ministered to him. He pointed him to Jesus. He reminded them of the promises of Jesus. He told them about the life they can have in Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he ministered. He spoke life. He might have encouraged and prophesied and strengthened. He put him on his animal. He put him in his vehicle. He didn't care about the upholstery. He drove him somewhere that he can be tended to. He paid for it. He said, tend to him. Care for him. Put it on my tab. Can you imagine? I mean, I know it's a story, but let's just let our imagination go a little bit further. The man goes home. Has blood on him. Has blood on on, on the blankets covering his animal. He's pretty thirsty because he's... By the time he arrives home, he doesn't have any more wine. He doesn't have oil. His wife and kids greet him at the door, and she's like, man, you look like a mess. What took you so long? We've been waiting for you forever. He's like, well, I I helped somebody. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Who did you help? Uh, A white supremacist. A terrorist, an Antifa violent person. Insert whatever your stance is and then insert the opposite in this story. I, I helped that that violent racist. What? Yeah. You did what? You think he would have helped you? doesn't matter if he would have helped me. I wasn't going to pass him by. Well, I hope he's okay. Well, I'll let you know. I'm going back to tend to him later. I'm going back. I I, I paid for his care and I'm going back to settle the tab because I said whatever it costs to care for this man, I'd pay it. So I'll let you know after I go back. What? You've done enough you've done more than enough. Actually, you should have never done that. Are you a moron? You think he would have done that for you? Obviously, this is all speculation, right? I, I do that speculation to make a point. There was a price that this man paid. And I'm telling you right now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a price you have to pay. I'm not talking about your salvation. Your salvation has been paid for. That was paid for with the blood of Jesus. Just like the scholar, you know, wasn't asking about his justification. I'm not talking about your, your salvation where you were justified by the blood of the Lamb. There's a price that we have to pay for. To pay to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you right now, you got to pay the price of personal preference. You got to pay the price of personal freedoms. I'm telling you right now, there's not a Christian alive that has the luxury, the freedom, or the rights to racism. It that Christian doesn't exist because that Christian has to sacrifice preferences, or traditions, or upbringing. Or grandmama being right or whatever so that Jesus can be right. Political preference? I, if you know me, you know I've got strong opinions about everything. You want to talk tacos? i got strong opinions on tacos. And i got strong opinions about values and politics and leadership. I do. You know that. But I sacrifice those at the foot of the cross so that Jesus can be right because Jesus should be exalted above a politician or a party or a preference or a tradition. All of that is contained in this story. Did you realize that? All of that is contained in this story. What is needed for the Christian to enter into everything God has for him That's what this man initially asked. It's allowing Jesus in. It's not like being like the Samaritan. It's being like Jesus. And to be like Jesus, the first step is we've got to let him in. We got to let him in. And we got to give him access to our heart. And we got to say, change my heart. My heart's hard. My heart has discrimination. My heart has pride. My heart has traditions that contradict your word. Change my heart. We let Jesus into our heart and we say change my heart because I, I can't even be as good as that Samaritan, much less as good as you, Jesus, Jesus. I can't even be as good as that man. And now I'm being told to be like you. He's like, yeah, let me in and let me change you. Yield your preference to me and let me change you. Yield your stubborn opinions to me and let me change you. And then you're going to see my nature coming out in what you do. i need to I need to state this because if your heart's not prepared for mercy, when you stumble upon the person beaten and wounded in the road, you won't show mercy if your heart's not prepared for compassion, when we stumble across that person who needs compassion, we won't naturally show it. You know what we'll be doing? We'll be looking at our device and past dozens of people that are wounded. Jesus says, let me in. Let me change you. And then you can love compassionately. Then you can love with mercy. Then you can love with grace. Then you can love authentically. Then you can love that brings healing. Then you can give extravagantly. Then you can love extravagantly, frivolously. Compassion and compassionate love will lead you into the experience of reaping the kingdom of God here and now. Not later. Not, not when you're dead. Not when you're dead. The kingdom of God now. The kingdom of God is at hand. God wants us to walk in the fullness of his power and love and mercy and anointing now. The kingdom of God is at hand, is what Jesus said. This isn't just something waiting for you to die. He wants us to thrive now. He wants us to represent him now. He wants us to be like him now. I'm I'm a I'm an optimist. I am not a pessimist. I mean, if you know me, you know that about me. I am not a pessimist. But it's a jacked up world we live in. I mean, people are selfish and deceived and flawed and angry and violent. You know what makes me angry? Angry people. It's so it's so crazy. (laughs) Like I'm serious. Like I'm not above I'm not above like socking somebody. Like when I see like like older people abused. I don't know. That's my hot button. I'm just letting you know. When I see elderly people dishonored, I want to sock them. I do. And I have to submit that to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, there's something in me that I haven't worked out yet. Help me, Jesus. What about you? What are your hot buttons? You all got them. We all got, I ain't talking about me anymore. I already talked about me. I'm talking about you now. You got hot buttons. You got buttons that when they press, the ugly side comes out. It was interesting, a few weeks ago, worship was wonderful. Worship was wonderful. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get in. I, I just couldn't experience. I I, I was like, ah. Oh. So I went back there, I stood in the back for a second, and I said, Jesus, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not feeling it, and and I just, I can't get past myself. I've got so many thoughts going on right now. I just can't get past me. And so I am, I'm not honoring you, and I'm not worshiping you like I want, and I'm not receiving from you like you want. And so this is kind of pointless. If you don't help me, Lord, then this is just a, a waste of both of our time. Will you help me? Will you help me push past myself? Will you help me receive from you? Will you help me praise you? Will you help me praise you? Because I want to praise you, but... My focus is on me. Came back up, started worshiping. By the end of worship, guess what had happened? I asked him for help and he helped. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get angered. It's easy to get outraged. But mercy... But mercy, not so easy. But humility, not so easy. But selflessness, not as easy. Those things are hard. But you know what? God blesses them. God blesses them. And he is always true to his character. When I went back there and cried out for the Lord in my own way, saying, help me get past me. He helped me. He blessed that. He blessed my simple calling to him, asking for help so that I could worship and truly exalt him and also receive from him what he had for me. It's easy to get angered and outraged, but it's courageous to choose the path of extravagant love, to choose the path of compassion. The good man from Samaria goes to extravagant Lengths to take care of someone so completely different than himself. Not just different, not just different. Opposed to him. Antagonistic to him. Sarcastic to him. Passive-aggressive to him. Rude to him. Lying to him. Slanderous to him. Are you getting the point? Let's make this real. What do we do to people who think differently than we do? What do we say to people who believe differently than we do? What do we place on our social media? What do we TikTok? about people or to people that see an issue differently than us? What do we put on our Facebook page or our Instagram? Let me make this super real. Conservatives. Conservatives that I'm speaking to in the room that I'm speaking to online. How much love and grace and mercy And compassion do you show to those liberals who are on the opposite end of the issue of blank? Whatever your hot button issue is, right? Whatever your passionate issue is, right? That the liberals do not see the same way as you. How much mercy do you show to those who see that opposite stance? That opposite view that have an opposite value? Liberals, how much love and grace and mercy do you have for the conservatives who don't see blank the way you do? Christians, is your is your party your God or is your God your God? Who is Lord of all? One of the keys to seeing healing in this jacked up country that we have right now is for the church to get back to living with the extravagance of love and with radical generosity. And if we don't love Jesus more than we love our traditions, then we're in trouble. If we don't love Jesus more than we do our political party, then we're in trouble. If we don't love Jesus more than we do our flesh and ourself, we're in trouble. And once again, guess what? You don't have it within you to love like Jesus did. Not of your own strength. Not of your own goodness. Not of your own well nurtured goodness that's within you. Without Jesus, it's not within us to love in a way that is truly extravagant. That is truly compassionate. We've got to love Jesus more. We do. We've got to love Jesus more. We've got to want Jesus to have his way more. The story of the good Samaritan wasn't a story about a Samaritan. It was a story about following Jesus. It was a story of setting aside everything to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus. Man, there, there's a phrase that just stuck for a couple of weeks now. It's just stuck in, in my heart. And that's the phrase, put it on my tab put it on my tab, whatever it is, whatever it takes to care for this person, put it on my tab, I've got this, that's what God did, that's what he did for us in sending his son, he said, I've got this, I'll pay the price, Jesus stepped up and said, Father, I will do this, I've got this, I'll pay the price. Jesus isn't asking you to die for the world. He's already done that. He's just asking you to die to your flesh. He's just asking me to die to my flesh. Go and do likewise. That's how we ended this story. Go and do likewise. You, go and do likewise. You, go and do likewise. You, go and do likewise. I love that there's a go there. Get off your butt and do likewise. Get out of your sphere. Let me look around. Get Get beyond your suburban sphere of comfort, of Christian comfort, and go out of your way and make yourself available to be used by the king in caring for whoever's hurting. We're too comfortable, man. We don't take risks. We're like helicopter parents. We just we, we guard our kids from every bit of pain, and we hover, and we don't take risks. And this was a risk. Jesus told a story about a man that took a risk. Take a risk for the king. He's worthy. Take a risk to show his love. He's worthy. The Bible. What an extravagant story of love and grace. But not good literature. Not a pleasant story. And if we read it as such, we're, we're missing out. God's word saying follow me and you will truly live let me in and act like me and respond to me and you will truly live that's that extravagant story of love